0: In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Hello, everyone. This is John Lim with Moving Forward, and today my guest is Ms. Megan Prickhodko. Megan is the Senior Director of Campaign Operations with SNIP, a fantastic company focusing on targeted digital marketing solutions, including rewards and loyalty programs. Megan was formerly a vice president with e-journal press and spent many years in the publishing industry. Megan holds an MBA from the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School and was a double major in English and philosophy at the University of Maryland. Megan lives in Montgomery Village, Maryland with her husband Victor, their son Leo, and their two dogs. Welcome, welcome, Megan. How are you today?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me,
0: John. Oh, no. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I think our listeners are going to be very interested to learn about you. Would you mind starting out by telling us more about yourself? Fill in the professional and life resume.
1: Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but it's definitely not something you would find on my resume, that I've recently become a new mom.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. My husband and I have a a one-year-old, and of course, he keeps us very busy every day, and as you mentioned, I, I graduated from Johns Hopkins pretty recently in December of 2013, and I was very pregnant at the time, and so that was quite a challenge going through the whole capstone process, presenting, I think I was about seven months pregnant, and it was quite the challenge, but being a mother has really forced me to look in different directions with my life and really redefine the categories of myself, so, you know, you do your best to to be amazing at work. And, and of course, you want to be a great parent. But a lot of times that means you lose sight of your own sense mm. of self, your personal sense. So I found that I've really had to focus on that recently. And, and that's something that I've I've worked towards is, is making sure I have my own identity. And that I'm not just defined by the job or, or my child, even though those are really important things to me. So it, it's been good. But, uh, but that's... Just the extra little tidbit about my life, I think, right now.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And I really appreciate you sharing that, Megan. I mean, because you've been so successful in your career. And one of the themes of moving forward is really discovering what our guests are passionate about. So I'm really, really interested to unpack that a little bit more and explore that with you. So what are you passionate about and how did you discover that passion in your life?
1: That's a great question, John. I I mean, I I would be lying if I didn't say I struggled with this a good bit most of my life. I think that I I can answer the question pretty distinctly now that I'm really passionate about analysis and organization, but I'm a little concerned that your listeners might think that that makes me sound like a huge dork, you know? Someone who obsessively you know, labels their dictionaries and stuff.
0: I think there are a lot of <laughs> listeners who can probably relate to exactly what you're talking about.
1: So, I mean, I think, like I said, it, it really is a struggle for me. When I was really young, I, I really wanted to be a writer. If anybody asked me what I wanted to be, I specifically wanted to be a poet, and I would write all these poems, and I was part of my high school lit mag, and I wanted to go be a writer in college. And, you know, what I found was that It was really hard to be passionate about poetry because of the way the world currently views writers and and Mm -hmm. poets. You know, God forbid your child becomes a poet, right? And so it it was really frustrating because you know uh, people had a hard time relating to something that I found so interesting, and no one read my poetry and thought, "Oh, this young lady is going to be the next Emily Dickinson." and for the most part, most of the people I, I knew and the most of the people in my life didn't even read poetry, right? So, And my parents certainly didn't think it was a viable career. So it was really hard to be passionate about that on an ongoing basis. I went to college, and I, I think this must have been my, my last real act of rebellion, right? I majored in English and eventually doubled in philosophy just because I really felt like I needed to pursue that love of writing. But interestingly enough, I discovered through that process, through both of those subjects, that as much as I really enjoyed writing, I liked dissecting others' writing more. I liked looking for the deeper meanings, trying to break down really complex pieces of literature and understanding how different forms affected the words. And at the same time, I was being practical. I had several internships in college, and that is what ultimately allows me to be an employed English and philosophy double major. But I found that through the internships that much of what I was doing with poetry or with philosophical ideas, I could apply all of that same analysis to the work in office. And I always like to think of companies kind of metaphorically as books. I mean, I think you can keep breaking it down. I mean, departments as chapters, levels of management as sentence, but really most importantly is the people playing the role of words. And just like words people work with different contexts and they thrive or decline within different structures and it's amazing how a single word in a haiku matters so much and that's very much like how people are in companies they make a huge difference and so ultimately i think that whole experience and that learning process led me to really appreciating analysis not just in literature but in the entire world And then lastly, finding that structure and organization and seeing if I can analyze the situation and provide its structure so that the people or the words could be more successful.
0: I think that's fantastic, Megan. I mean, it sounds like what you were able to do is really take that early passion that you had for poetry and really translated into your current career in terms of your love of writing and then taking it to a deeper level looking at analysis and understanding the components uh, of a book as a great metaphor for looking at organizations and companies so I think that's really really illustrative
1: thank you I'm very lucky to have been able to as you said translate it because it's such an unusual passion to start out wanting to be a poet and in some ways, it's is sort of unpractical, but now it, it, you know, I think I've gotten somewhere with it. So that's
0: good. Well, it's Megan. It's it's funny you mentioned that because uh, a lot of what we've heard from our other guests is that sometimes it's not obvious how your passion can translate into a career. And we've heard from people in different industries who've talked about sometimes your passion in life isn't necessarily going to make you a lot of money. And then we've heard from the other end of the spectrum, well, you have to take that passion, really dissect why you're passionate about it and use it in a way to guide you towards a career so it's interesting to hear your perspective from someone who was a english and philosophy major and it's, it's sort of the stereotype that if you double major or <laughs> major in either one of those you're not going to be employed but obviously you right. found such great success in your career taking what you loved from an early age and just being able to adapt it to pivot and to translate it well megan i'm going to dig a little deeper now and we're going to talk a little bit about reflections can you share a time for our listeners when you failed or faced what seemed like a big insurmountable challenge but it ended up being a valuable learning experience or part of your road to success
1: Um, Sure. I, I, you know, I honestly fail on a daily basis. And I I think that I've gotten better at handling failure um, over the years. That's a skill in and of itself. But one of the biggest failures that always comes to mind when I think about failure in general is years ago, I was promoted to a management position and in my mind I was a shoe in for the role. On paper, I worked the longest hours, I, I did the most things for the department, I, I worked so hard and really there was no one else there who was standing up saying, I want a part of this. You know, They all were very, very happy to not be promoted, but I didn't really receive the warm welcome that I had expected. And it was very difficult at first because it seemed really obvious to me that for the company, for me personally, for everyone involved, this was probably the best fit. And not everyone felt that way. And I, I really don't know if the, I had a direct impact on this or not, but one of the people who was newly reporting to me actually quit very soon after I was promoted. And I took the whole thing very personally. Mm. And, you know, I really allowed that incident to affect me it really challenged and diminished my energy for my new role and taking a step back after it I realized that I failed in accepting that new promotion because i didn't prepare myself and understand how people would react i didn't i didn't take in everyone's true perspective that even if they didn't want my position they didn't necessarily want me to have it also you know in any case when there's a change it's it's a change and you have to be respectful of people's feelings and, and that sort of thing and and then lastly to allow someone's personal decision about you know moving to another company or leaving this company to to personally affect my my working and my management skills at that time is, is really just silly. And that that person probably had a million reasons for leaving. And I may have been one of them, but who knows? So I really think I failed in that way. But ultimately, I was able to hire some really amazing people. and they really grew with me in the department. I, I learned a lot of lessons. I got to train a lot of people for the first time and figured out how to grow a team. And And I eventually feel like I did earn the respect of those who initially may have doubted me or may not have been so happy about the role change. And I think at the end of the day, I just learned a really big lesson to always try to keep in mind other people's perspective, even if something seems really obvious to you, and be respectful of that because it's important to have people supportive around you.
0: A couple of big takeaways that I get from listening to that story is that, number one, it's very brave to admit that you fail and fail often. And to be able to share that, I think, is really extraordinary. And because I was a lawyer for a long time, it's a very hard thing to admit that you fail from time to time. And if you're being honest with yourself, you probably fail a lot more than you realize. And to recognize that, embrace it, and and learn from it, I think is really where we're able to grow in our careers, in our lives. So I think that's really, really powerful. Number two, I love that story that you had a moment in which you got a promotion and typically would be seen as as a really big move forward. There were some unforeseen consequences of that and then learning from that, that you're able to separate someone's decision to leave your team and separate the personal from the professional, I think that's also a really big takeaway. And then finally, it gave you the opportunity to put together the team that you really wanted right. to really defy some initial expectations that were a challenge were a roadblock. So I think those are three really, really big takeaways that are very, very critical and that I think a lot of people listening to this can really learn from. Yeah,
1: I mean, it was it was definitely a challenge, but I'm, I'm definitely a better manager because of it and and you know if I did it all over again I probably just wouldn't get so upset about it but
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely hindsight will do that for you Right. well Megan we're going to talk a little bit about influences and so this next question is a two part question first of all is there been a movie book play song or other media that has been greatly influential in your life
1: so I mean I think there's just been a ton of books especially when I was in college all kinds of philosophy books that allowed me to look at the world from different perspectives and different ways and they were just kind of mind-blowing but These days, I'm stuck reading a lot of children's books. Mm -hmm. And so far, I've really actually been amazed by how deep the lessons are that are embedded in them. And they're very straightforward, very short books. And, of course, I, in my analytical mind, draw this comparison between children's books and poems. They're short. They sometimes rhyme. (laughs) But they manage to pack a lot of meaning and thought and often morality in a very brief moment. And so... One of the books that really comes to mind, is it's called Thank You, Bear by Greg Foley. And it's a children's book, but in the book, Bear finds a little box. He immediately thinks, oh, this is the best thing ever. It's a great box. <laughs> and he says, I cannot wait to show the box to my friend Mouse. And as he's walking to find Mouse, he meets a bunch of other animals. And one by one, each animal gives their opinion of Bear's box. So, like, the monkey says that's not so great. And another animal says, I've seen one of those before. But Bear quickly gets discouraged by those comments and starts to think that, well, maybe this box isn't so great after all. And that's when he finally runs into Mouse. And Mouse takes a look at the box and exclaims, wow, that's amazing. And I love it. And so I I know this seems a little bit silly, but I think I'm amazed at how much meaning I can draw out of such a brief and very little story. And I think that these were things that I really struggled with when I was younger and things that didn't, weren't obvious to me as I was growing up. And so uh, it's interesting to me that this book illustrates them. And one of the things that I think it really illustrates is that this concept that people are always going to give you their opinion, good or bad, even if you don't ask for it. And this isn't something that I really understood until I really started working. I thought that people only told you their opinion if they felt really strongly about it or if they were asked to share their thoughts. But that's not true at all. People will tell you their opinion about things because they're bored, because they just don't filter, because they, you know, they've had a bad day, whatever. And you need to understand that and anticipate it and know that. You know, sometimes you didn't ask for people's opinion, and they give it anyways, and you just have to let it lay where it lays. So that was one thing that I, I always took away from that book. But another one is to always consider your audience. It's amazing how if Bear had just ran into Mouse first, his experience with this box and all the other animals would have been very, very different. He, at some at one point, really starts to doubt how wonderful this idea or this product or whatever he has in front of him is simply because all these people told him, that it wasn't for them. And his audience really is mouse because the box is small and mouse is small. And so it's, it's important to consider your audience when you're thinking through things and when you're asking for feedback. And it doesn't make sense to ask someone who's always going to be negative for positive feedback. It's just not going to work. So, And then like the last thing that I really pull from this story that I think is really important and probably maybe the most important is that it's really important to question yourself, to Mm -hmm. take a moment and think like, wait, am I doing the right thing? Is this a crazy idea? And really set aside time for it. And maybe you do seek out someone who can play devil's advocate and can tell you the negative things. And I think it's really important to make sure you do give yourself a moment to doubt and then let it go, walk away, and realize that that was your moment and maybe you came up with some really good obstacles and those are really just the checklist of the next things you're going to need to overcome. So letting yourself question but not doubt to the point where you obsess over everything that can be wrong. I feel like I pull a lot from these very short stories, but it's fun and, and I think that it's it's nice to be able to read something so quickly And pull away so much meaning. And and that's that's really what I get from that. So I thought it was a really interesting book.
0: I don't do this enough, but every once in a while I'll revisit a book that I love from my childhood. And I find that I pick up things that I certainly didn't know or really appreciate when I first read it. You know, maybe at age six or seven. But then revisiting it as an adult, you really do find some really incredible life lessons.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... It, it is really interesting. I've gone back and reread a bunch of the books that I I read when I was younger, and, and have found so much more meaning. And you know, of course, when you're younger, everything goes over your head. But sure. but it, it's interesting to, to to get back into it and see how they apply. And and a lot of times we don't have time to sit down and read a 300 page book about how to behave in business and how to structure your conversations for a particular audience. Sometimes it's nice to have something that gives you the guidance to think through things yourself. And it's interesting. I found that with children both.
0: Absolutely. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. Well, Megan, a second part to the question. Has there been a person in your life that you've connected with that has left a lasting impression towards you finding your life's passion or your career path?
1: So, John, I know you know Drs. Mark and Joan Dismone. Yes. And I'm going to have to say that I didn't love all of our professors at Johns Hopkins, but these two people, I come back to the things that they said to us, the things that they taught to us in our facilitating strategic change course. And they really did help me move forward in my life and take on new challenges that I I never thought I was going to be able to do. They are just amazing people. And they really not so much dictated how to go about your life, but really gave us tools to really figure out what was holding us back so we could tackle them ourselves, those problems ourselves. And I think the two biggest things I walked away from that class with were, first of all, that everyone experiences a loss when change occurs. And this kind of goes back to the story I told earlier when I was promoted to a management position and not everyone reacted well. Regardless of what the change is, people experience change differently. And even if it's a change for better, they're losing the way things used to be done. And sometimes in the moment of change, people value the, the comfort of knowing how things used to be and, you know, whether it's coming into the building every day and seeing someone sitting in the same place or, you know, maybe their coffee mug is always stationed in the same part of their desk. Whatever it is, there's comfort in that constant continuity. And I think that that's really something that I never thought about before, This the class I had with Dr. DeSimones. And I think understanding that that experience and that loss is real and then trying to respect it has really changed the way I approach major decisions that I make in my workplace. If I know that I'm making a change, even if I know that it's for the better for everyone, making sure I communicate it, making sure I walk people through it and I get their feedback and get their buy-in, it really just helps to minimize that feeling of loss and um, that hurt. So it's been a really interesting lesson to apply to my life, but it's a good one. So the second thing that I really Learn from them is that most negativity is really fear mm. in disguise. And yeah. it was one of those eureka moments for me, you know, sitting in the classroom and they said this and I was like, oh my gosh, you're, you're totally right. Okay. Every time I'm upset about something, I'm really afraid of it. Or every time a coworker has been upset or frustrated, it's really fear is involved And in that as a manager, you should try to drive fear from a workplace and remove the fear obstacle. of if, if someone isn't doing the job that they're supposed to be doing, Find out what they're afraid of and remove it and see if they can do it the job then. And it's been remarkable to me how well that's worked. They have been really life-changing lessons, and, and I couldn't thank Dr. Mark and Joan D. Simone more for them.
0: They were wonderful, and they were a big influence in a lot of what I'm doing today. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, Megan, I'm excited to ask, based on your experience, your insights, what advice do you have for someone who is struggling to find Their passion in life. I'd say the
1: biggest piece of advice I have would be to really understand what you're passionate about and take the time to explore it. Even if other people aren't supportive, pursue it. Give yourself time to live within that little micro dream. Obviously, for me, I allowed myself college to really decide if being a professional writer would work. And I jumped in with both feet and really just decided that I would 100% be an English major and see if this would work out and focus in creative writing. And it turns out that it really wasn't for me. I, didn't, I couldn't see a future where I was writing poems constantly and living on that paycheck and getting passionate about that experience. And I was able to figure out a different passion that was closely associated with what I'd originally wanted to do, but I'll never regret what i learned in those years and how it ultimately really led me to the career i have now and i think it's about giving yourself permission to be passionate and that can be really the hardest part to say that this seems silly to everyone else but i'm gonna allow you to do this whether it's for a month or a year maybe it's a couple hours every day or whatever it is allowing yourself the time and energy to seek out those new directions it's that's part of the
0: hardest thing. Two huge lessons from that. Number one, devote the time to doing it. We've heard this from some of our other guests, Griff Hall, who I interviewed earlier in the show. He said, make discipline time to find your passion. And I think that's so critical. I mean, it's one thing to think about, well, you know, I'm not passionate about what I'm doing. But then are you investing the time to find what you're really passionate about? So I think that's really huge. And then number two, this is probably one of the most powerful concepts, giving yourself permission to explore what you're passionate about. I think that is such a huge roadblock for so many people, just giving themselves permission. That to me is almost 70% of the battle right there. It's just allowing yourself to say, okay, I want to explore something because I'm not quite passionate about what I'm doing right now. So I think those are two very, very important lessons.
1: It's also giving yourself permission to fail. We understand that this is a crazy idea, but we're going to try it anyways. Allowing yourself that time to do it and saying, okay, so what if you're, you fail? We can always do something else. And so it, again, it always comes back to that fear. That's something I think I allowed myself to do really early on and, and I'm, I'm for the better for it.
0: Absolutely. Well, Megan, what is next for you?
1: I think right now I'm, I've got my hands full. I've got a Sounds lot going like on. I think it's really about, at this moment in my life, taking time to savor every important instance and making sure I take time to stand still and enjoy what I have going on right now. I'm really, really blessed I can't be more grateful for all that I have. And, you know, I'd really like to take the time to enjoy it. So that's what I'm going to be doing.
0: I think that's wonderful. That's another great life lesson right there. Take every instance, enjoy it, be present. I think that's really, really valuable. Megan, I have no doubt that you have made an impact on people listening to this today people who are maybe struggling to find their passion, people who aren't giving themselves time, space, and permission. To explore what they're passionate about what is the best way that our listeners can connect with you
1: i'd be happy to connect with anyone who would like to reach me out on linkedin
0: oh wonderful well we'll be uh, posting that on our website and megan i want to thank you so much for joining us today it has been a pleasure i've learned so much about you and for sharing your insights and your experiences
1: thank you so much Sean. It was i was just thrilled to be a part of this
0: This is John Lim with Moving Forward, and we will be back with a new episode next week. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.